just by um, yeah, describing a situation a while ago. I was giving a, a, a chap who's not a churchgoer a tour around all our buildings and you know, showing him the arches and all the stuff we're doing. And he was like, this is amazing. You wouldn't think a church would be like this you, or do that. Until the, the question dawned on him. He was like, so where do you guys get all the money? And I remember, as I explained, you know, the majority of the money comes from members of the church voluntarily give it. The enthusiasm just drained from his face. And you could tell that he, he loved the idea of the charity and all the activity and the good works, but he did not like the idea of money being sacrificed in that way. And it really reminded me of the story of the rich young ruler in the Bible who, who walks away from Jesus disheartened because he has learned that following Jesus would cost him the thing that he treasured most in his heart, his, his money. Because the reality is, all the stuff that we do as a church, you know, from like kids, youth, compassion, um, stuff like the Love Christmas Project, um, the way that we've in, the, in recent years been able to send significant gifts, like tens of thousand pounds at a time to causes like Tear Fund and Nottingham City Council or overseas um, mission or partners, stuff like that. The reality is to do all those kind of things, it demands a level of financial commitment from us as a church that goes beyond just like an offering plate going around and a few coins being chucked in. It requires significant numbers of us to choose to consistently contribute in a meaningful way. And the reality is, your generosity as a church is renowned, it's incredible, and I think it astonishes those looking in from the outside. In fact, a few weeks ago, I was chatting to like an old, an old school friend of mine, and um, he, he asked me the question, he was like, so who pays your salary then? And um, so when I explained, he immediately, he had loads of follow-up questions. He was like, wow, so is that kind of like a membership fee? And he was like, are there different membership packages based on how much people give? And I was like, no, but maybe we should look into that. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just joking. But, you know, if you, if you give um, currently, you might have had a conversation like this. If you've ever had your budget interrogated when you've been applying for a mortgage, for example, you might have been asked that question like, what's that money and where, where's all that going? And if you work for the church, they get even more confused because they're like, so they pay you and then you pay them back like this weird thing. People find it perplexing, or even like that guy that I showed around, a little bit unsettling. And the thing that unsettles me is, is exactly that, the way that in our world, money is seen as so sacred that many people feel unnerved when they encounter a culture where money flows freely and generously. And so today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about this particular aspect of our discipleship, and that is giving financially to the church. And as I do this, um, I'm going to talk quite openly about what I believe to be the biblical challenge to give generously. And I'm mindful that, of course, in a room like this, we have a, a whole diverse range of, of, of situations and opinions. We have people who are passionate and experienced um, and excited about giving, right the way through to people who, you know, perhaps it's your first time in church and you've yet to make up your mind about God, um, let alone about giving financially to church. And of course, there'll be many people in the room who are anxious at the moment about the cost of living crisis and our own personal finances. Um, and so, uh, by the way, instantly, if you're, if you're struggling financially at the moment, or if, you've, if, um, you're, if you missed them for any reason, in fact, I'd just really encourage you to watch the last couple of talks. The last two talks have been on this topic of money. Um, but just to say, my intention today is not to make anybody feel pressurized, especially if you're in financial difficulty, or if you're here just exploring. We're not after your money. 
Um, but what my aim is today is simply to try and bring some clarity to the question, what does the Bible say about giving? And if you've ever asked that question, um, you might have heard this word, tithe, as, um, as part of the answer. If you're unfamiliar with that word, tithe, um, it's a Bible word, and it's typically used nowadays to describe this practice of giving 10% of your income to the church. And I'm aware, again, like some of you might have just heard that for the first time and you're like, what? But um, Christians have been practicing this around the world for centuries. Many, many people who are part of this church do this. And it's effectively, they see that 10% as kind of like a staple of generosity in our life that just keeps on going over. And then often we'll choose to give beyond that to spontaneous um, causes or choose to give you know, beyond that number as well. The word tithe comes from a Hebrew word, which, which means tenth. And the principle behind it, really, that we see in the Bible is that, first and foremost, it's a response to the generosity of God that comes towards us. Now, if you think um, in sort of ancient Bible times, in ancient agricultural cultures, really, ever since humans have existed, we've seen this um, instinctive impulse to respond to the divine for giving us food and water and this amazing world that we live in, recognizing that, that God is the provider of everything and that we live in this world not as kind of owners of this stuff, but, but stewards and recipients of it from him. And so if you go right back in the Bible to the Genesis, the first family unit, Adam and Eve's sons, um, Cain and Abel, we, we, there's an account of them giving, uh, making offerings of produce and livestock to God. And of course, nowadays, we're not ancient farmers. Um, but we can understand this principle of, of offering. You know, for example, if somebody generously paid for you to go on holiday, you'd probably want to naturally just intuitively respond to that in some way. You might buy them a souvenir, something small, a small part of that holiday, return to them as a recognition that they provided the whole thing. But in our modern world, it's sometimes easy to lose sight of this perspective of gratitude amidst the illusion of self-sufficiency that we have, particularly in the Western world. It's really, really easy, isn't it, to, to look at you know, everything that we have and the money in our bank account, and, and sort of, especially if we've worked hard for it, and conclude, well, do you know what? Actually, I made this happen. This is like mine, and I will do with it exactly what I want. But I want to suggest that in a way, that outlook is not that different from the little child saying like, no, mummy, you may not have any of my sweets. I pay for them with my pocket money oblivious to the fact that mummy provided the whole thing. So there's this idea of offering back to God. It's like a theme through the Bible. And as you continue through the Old Testament, we begin to see the idea of offering back a tenth as a meaningful portion to represent and give thanks for the whole. So for example, Abraham, the father of the Israelite people, we read that he gives 10% of his spoils to this um, priestly figure called Melchizedek. And then a little bit later on, there's an account of Jacob um, promising to give 10% of what he receives from God back to God. And then a little bit later still, in Moses' time, this 10% principle starts to get built more explicitly into the laws of the Israelite people. So um, right at the end of the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, verse 30, it says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. That, that word holy means set apart. And it continues, every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. 
And we see similar instructions like this elsewhere in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. There's a description of like a a regular tithe to support the work of the priests in the temple. There's a a festival tithe that's to pay for all the feasts. It's basically like a party fund, which is pretty cool. And then there's a tithe every three years, which is gathering money for those in need. And then on top of that, there are also descriptions of spontaneous offerings that they did from time to time. And we haven't got time this morning to go into in-depth detail of all this, but, but actually, it's, um, people, when they look at this, they think it's possible or even likely that the combination of these offerings amounted to even more than 10%, and some say even more than 20%. So this tithe was actually quite a radical thing. It was a nationwide cultural practice, a means of expressing the ongoing two-way relationship between them as the people of God and Yahweh as their creator and their provider. And so we see this two-way dynamic um, in a bunch of places, but I like in Proverbs chapter three, it really sums it up. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled with overflowing, to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. The idea is that as God expresses, um, sorry, as the people express their sort of like trust um, and obedience to God, he returns with his generosity and faithfulness to them. And there's this kind of like ongoing cyclical relationship. So that's a bit of a whiz through the Old Testament. That's the picture that we see. Now, when we skip on to look at the, the New Testament, there's a, there's, 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 there's a little bit of talk about tithing, but not so much. And consequently, there's a debate amongst Bible scholars and lots of church leaders today, because some say some argue that um, Christians should continue on this practice of the Old Testament tithing, Whilst others would say, well, highlight that, you know, we're no longer under the Israelite law, the requirements of that. And so there's more freedom for us to decide in our heart what we can give cheerfully. So it's definitely worth looking at the New Testament teaching and the example of the um, church, the early church, to see what they did. And as we begin to do that, look between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the big difference between those two things is obviously the arrival of Jesus. The New Testament describes the story from Jesus onwards. And the basic headline is that when Jesus came, he redefined what generosity looks like. Because if you think about it, before Jesus, the people of God, the Israelites, they understood God to be the God who provided them with every good thing. So, you know, food and water and shelter and the cosmos. But after Jesus, the people of God saw that he's the God who who provided not just things, but himself. So, as we've been looking at on the screen, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So, that sacrifice, Jesus laying down his life, didn't just cast a new sort of light on the, on the generosity of God, it completely redefined it, such that the appropriate response to that had to be redefined too. So generosity, it remained, you know, a response to God's provision, but it also started to become a response to his, his sacrifice and his mercy and his grace. And Paul, um, in Romans, he talks about this. He's like, in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. He's like, guys, we have experienced a new definition of generosity. We have received a new level of provision. And that demands, it demands a new level of response from us. That old definition of generosity, that picture that was defined by 10%, 
In a way, it's kind of gone out the window because Jesus didn't stop at 10%. He spared nothing on the cross. He gave it all. He went all in. And as you move into the New Testament and start to read the story of the early church in the book of Acts, you see that they, they responded to this by, they just went all in. And it's astonishing. Um, so in Acts chapter two, we read how the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers at Pentecost and empowered them supernaturally. And they started doing prophecy and miracles. But the next chapter, we also read that this infilling empowered them for fearless generosity. Um, it was incredible. They, we, they, it says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They just went all in. And um, there's lots of accounts of this in the New Testament, but one a few years later that's really remarkable is that um, there was a time where it all it sort of kicked off in Jerusalem. There was some kind of problem there where the believers were experiencing hardship. It was potentially a famine or economic persecution. And Paul describes the incredible response because there was like an appeal to send money to support them that came from the church all the way over in, all the way over in Macedonia. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, those two things, welled up in rich generosity for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. So these Macedonian believers, they were, they were living, Paul says, in extreme poverty. And, you know, they almost certainly didn't know the believers in Jerusalem. But what they did know is that this gospel that had transformed their lives had come to them from Jerusalem. And so they pleaded to send all that they could back to help them when they needed their help. And this passage, is, it struck me because as I've been preparing this, I felt really apprehensive about talking about giving when we're in the midst of, you know, such financial difficulty for so many. And I was thinking, you know, this isn't the time to talk about giving, but I think in a sense, this is exactly the time to talk about giving because the New Testament example that we receive is to respond to seasons of hardship, not by simply focusing on our needs and worrying about ourselves, but but looking to seek to bless those who are worse off than ourselves because there's always someone who's worse off than ourselves. And as we bless them, trusting God to provide for ourselves, to give in a way that expresses that same kind of faith and obedience and trust. And when we do that, when we give radically in that way, it will, it will astonish people, it will unsettle people because they will see that money doesn't have a hold on us the way that it has a hold on the rest of the world. I remember like an example of this years ago, our car engine blew up um, like about a week or two weeks before Barney, our son, was due. And we didn't have very much money at the time. And a friend of mine who was, um, he's not part of this church, but he, he was at the time commuting to work mostly on the train. And so he heard about the car and he rang me up and he was like, well, sounds like you need my car more than I do. And so he just gave us his car. It wasn't like a spare car. He just gave it to us. And I remember picking it up and parking it outside our house. And um, my, my neighbor sees it and he comes out. He's like, oh, nice wheels. How much do you pay for your car? And I was like, oh, actually, we didn't pay anything for it. Um, a friend of mine gave it to me. And I remember he looked at the car and he looked at me and he was like, is this one of your Christian friends? <laughs> and I was like, 
you could see the penny was beginning to drop. Because the thing about that friend was that, you know, we'd known him for a while by then. And in fact, he'd been here. And he'd been on an alpha course. And he'd experienced generosity from us. He told me about, he'd experienced generosity from some of you when he'd been going through difficult times. He'd had envelopes of money dropping through his letterbox. And he'd begun to recognize that we have a different way of operating when it comes to finances. We have a different outlook on money. You see, when we practice radical generosity in that way, it's like a confession of our faith. We are making a statement to the world about what we treasure most and who our master ultimately is. So what exactly did it look like for them? What exactly should it look like for us? I guess that's the question, isn't it? And as I say, the New Testament... It doesn't say so much about tithing, but we can build up a bit of a picture of what it looked like for them by looking at the examples of the types of ways that they were generous. And also, there are some clear instructions about giving in the New Testament. So, for example, we've already seen that they supported each other in a radical way. We've seen how they also contributed to the needs of the wider church. And then elsewhere, we also see, we see clear instruction and examples of them giving to the poor. Galatians 2 verse 10 says, All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. And also clear instructions about supporting those in vocational ministry. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 13, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what's offered on the altar in the same way The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So sort of skipping around the the verses a little bit here, but hopefully as you look at that table, you can begin to see a bit of a a, a picture building up here. And hopefully this kind of illustrates that when when we choose to regularly give a portion of our income to the church, we are effectively giving to exactly the same causes that the, that the, the believers did in the New Testament. When we give to church, we're supporting the poor because a whole chunk of that money goes through to trend compassion and causes like that. We support the wider church. 5% of the money that comes in goes straight out the door to the wider vineyard movement, um, as well as gifts that we do from, you know, to support overseas partners and mission overseas and other places. Um, when we give to the church, we also support one another and we resource our mission as a church through financing all the ministries, both inward and outward looking. And of course, the giving pays for the salaries of the staff team without whom all of these different things wouldn't be possible. And incidentally, if you want to see a bit more detail about how our budget is broken down, you can find it on the vision page of our website. But basically, to summarize, it, f- it sort of mobilizes a phenomenal amount of kingdom activity. So I've talked a little bit about the why and the how and the what, but you might be thinking it's a little bit like, you know, on the Antiques Roadshow when it gets to the end and it's like, so how much? You know that bit? Haven't got to that bit. So is that 10% thing still the deal? Um, You know, seeing as the New Testament tells us that we're no longer under the Old Testament law. Well, the way I'd say it is that I'd say if, if we're asking what does giving exactly look like now, it helps to consider, so what has changed? What do we know now as recipients of the New Testament that they didn't know before? And there's two things that we've talked about. First thing is Jesus. And I guess a question to ask is when we look at Jesus' definition of generosity, his example expressed on the cross, has our understanding of God's generosity been reduced or expanded by that picture? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? 
And then if we look at the early church, again, is their example more or less radical and countercultural than what we'd seen before? Something um, I remember John saying, um, a quote of his, he said, the New Testament portrays the norm of Christian giving as far beyond the tithe. It never suggests the floor set by the tithe was eliminated, but simply that the ceiling of Christian giving was far above it. And he continued, the tithe is not the finish line of giving, but only the starting blocks. So for me, I would suggest that that 10% figure, it, it remains the most meaningful biblical benchmark of what generosity looks like. But now we see that benchmark in a fundamentally new light. And it leaves each of us to reflect on our own circumstances and consider what we're able to and what the Lord is inviting us to give. And as we do that, Paul, um, you know, who wrote many of the New Testament letters, he is cheering us on and he would encourage us like this in 2 Corinthians um, 9. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And, you know, in my own personal experience, I'm not the most generous or extravagant giver by any means. But I think I've seen enough over the years to recognize the truth in that verse. I remember when I first um, I came to faith as a student, and I remember hearing that word tithe for the first time. There was like a talk, and somebody was explaining about it. And I don't remember much of what they said. But I did recall one thing that they said that kind of made sense to me at the time. They said, look, if you wait until you've got you know, plenty of money and you think, I'll be generous once I can afford to be generous, it doesn't work that way. Because actually, by then, that tithe has just become a lot of money and it's even more daunting. And what you, the best thing to do is just make a practice of it now. And so I thought, that makes sense to me. And so I, as soon as I got a job, I started to do this. And basically, my entire adult life... Um, I've had that 10% as like a staple benchmark of generosity. And then I've done additional giving over that in different seasons of my life in the form of like extra giving or charity subscriptions or pledges or spontaneous gifts to people and what have you. So when I started it, it wasn't a particularly spiritual decision or well-informed decision. But I honestly have a conviction that it is the best financial decision that I have ever made. And I believe that firmly for a bunch of reasons. I'm going to share them with you. First of all, um, it, I believe that money, giving money away consistently in a meaningful way is the only reliable means of truly putting money in its place and proclaiming to the world that God, not money, is my Lord. Secondly, um, Abby and I, we would say that giving has made space in our lives for God to showcase his incredible provision over and over again. And we've always had enough. And thirdly, and John was talking about this a couple of weeks ago, because every penny that's invested in God's kingdom has eternal worth there and subsequently eternal reward. And, and even, you know, as a bonus to that, sometimes we don't even have to wait for eternity to begin to see the reward on our investment. So, you know, for example, if, 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 if say, for example, the types of things that we celebrate, if when we see a young person getting baptized, we love it, don't we? And, and of course, they've got baptized because they have encountered Jesus. But also, in a sense, they might be getting baptized because they've been mentored by an amazing Trent Youth team member who has been trained by a committed leader 
um, and resourced with the, all the amazing facilities we have over there. Uh, who, and they've all been trained by this amazing youth pastor who's been released to do that through their salary. And so without this financial investment, you see, that whole team and all this kingdom activity wouldn't be possible. And what it means is that effectively all the types of things that we celebrate, you know, whether it's that, whether it's like a young person getting baptized or a gift that we're sending to some acute need on the other side of the world, or when we hear a story about a single mum who gets beds for her children to sleep on through Trent Compassion, every time we go, yes, and we can go, yes, to that. Yes, obviously, because it's awesome, but also because, in a way, we were in on that. We were part, in a small way, of facilitating that, making it happen. And the question that I can't help but wonder as, as I sort of think about this is like, you know, when we look at all the, diff- all the stuff that we do at the moment, can you imagine how much difference we could make in this city if everyone who considers themselves to be a part of Trent Vineyard thought, yeah, I want to get in on that too. I want to get involved. So if you're not giving and, uh, you know, you're on the fence about whether or where to start with this, I would encourage you to consider giving it a go and consider starting with that 10% number. And the other thing I'd say is I'd encourage you to, to see your giving not as like the leftovers after the rest of your budget's been done, but to see it, you know, to use that Bible language like your first fruits as an expression of, of worship, a recognition like everything that I've got has come from you, God, and therefore the first thing that I'm going to go out of my bank is, is, is that thing. Um, I love something that Heather, uh, the manager of Step Forward Money, says, she says, they advise the clients, tell your money where to go at the start of the month rather than wondering where it went at the end of the month. And I thought, yeah, that is good advice. So consider that. If you can't imagine how you could give a tenth, of course, just begin with a smaller amount um, and maybe work up over time as God demonstrates to you that he will provide and he will enable you to invest generously in what he's doing. Now, there might be others of you here who find yourself in a place today where actually you have, you have plenty. You have a degree of comfort in your life and the, the Lord might be inviting you on an adventure of faith and obedience to go beyond that by giving more than you're currently. It might be, for example, that your income has grown since you started giving um, and you haven't got round to adjusting the giving to the level that you originally intended to give at. So wherever you're at with this, I would just encourage you, whether you're already faithfully giving or yet to start, um, have a think about it. Have a think about it today. Uh, Have a think about it this week and review your giving. And if you feel prompted to, then take some action. Um, Just a few practical bits. If you're making changes to your giving, it would be really helpful if you could let the finance team know. There's an email address you can use there. And um, just to say, apart from the actual finance staff who process all of this, none of us see the amount that anybody gives. So this really, as far as possible, it really is between you and the Lord. If you'd like to start giving... You can do that by, um, there's a little QR code that you can scan, um, or there's just a a give link that you can use, and there are leaflets with that code and that link on the doors on the way out and over at the connect area. So just just pick one of those up on the way out. And the final thing that I wanted to say is, um, in addition to, this is sort of like in addition to regular giving, um, I just want to talk about the fact that at the moment, obviously, we're going through a really difficult time as a country financially. And one of the most inspiring things that you read about in the New Testament is the way that they, the believers supported one another. Um, and we love hearing stories of people doing that in the life of the church, in small groups and so on. But 
From time to time, we hear about individuals or households in the church family who are experiencing acute financial need. And for some years now, there's been a kind of a pot of money set to one side to help specifically with that on a case-by-case basis. And so if you're mindful that, you know, at this time when so many are struggling, you're actually in a place where you're okay, you know, you might have received that cost of living subsidy and thought, man, other people might need this more than I do. And we just want to let you know that there's an opportunity, if you'd like to, to make a one-off contribution to that pot. And when you go on our giving page, you can actually, there's like a specific tab that you can use to make a a donation to the in-need thing. Um, And as I say, that might be something you want to do in addition to your regular giving.